Uh, Father, thank you for the word of God which comes to us. And it's true and it's right and it's good. Uh, It's holy. And it's authoritative for us. So I'm praying now, God, that as we seek comprehension from your word, revelation even from your word, that you would speak to your people. We come from different places with different stuff. But Father, I'm asking that you would unfold your word for us now. Um, Even as we kind of take up this, this tough topic, would you unfold it for us now? And Holy Spirit, to that end, please come and apply it to where it needs to go. Set the kingdom down in our lives and don't let us be the same. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name and everybody said... Amen and amen. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to Romans, the book of Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. If you're a user of the Bible app, you can grab your, uh, open that app and find our live event by our geography or link one off of one of our um, social media pages. We would love for you um, to do that. So uh, the the question that we're finishing the questions for God series and the question um, that was the, hands down, the most popular question question. It it came expressed in all sorts of ways because these questions are very, very personal. I'll say more about that in just a second. But the question that came along was, why does bad stuff happen in this world? Okay. And so the the short answer is for one of two reasons. Uh, Number one, you messed up and therefore you got in trouble. You had experience where anybody have this moment? You're You're driving with a certain amount of determination And all of a sudden, somebody says to you via a ticket, you should not drive with that amount of determination in this particular area. I mean, you you can look at that. Oh, why does this happen? Well, because you transgressed the law. I mean, like you broke the speed limit. That's why that happened. Uh, Probably uh, more in in this particular area, we drew a circle around a lot of these questions that came in. Hey, why did this happen to my friend or my sister or my uncle or my aunt or my dad or my kid? Why, why do you think that God blah, 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 and have all of this? We drew a circle around all of those and asked basically this question. Why is this world like that? And the short, very short answer is because the world's broken. We don't have to look five minutes over our shoulder and we don't have to watch the news for five seconds to see this world is a messed up place. Things are not functioning as they should function. And when um, we come to this um, particular verse here in Romans 8. Um, I think we kind of come a couple of ways. Let's read the verse together, and then I want to talk about how I think most of us experience this. This is Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Most of us experience this verse in maybe one of these two or three ways. Uh, we kind of say, hey, you know what? These are really, really deep waters and you can answer some of my questions, but I'll have just as many questions as I did before. So there, I just don't understand it all. Some of us come to this particular verse and this particular question and topic, and we, we, I, I called it the junk drawer response, like not because it's trashy, but, but like you don't know what to do with it. So you walk into a situation, phone rings, something happens, something goes down, something goes sideways in your life. And you're like, I don't know what to do with this. So Romans eight twenty eight, just kind of put it in there. 
or you experience it as this is um, eminently quotable. <laughs> I'm not sure it's all that helpful, but this is kind of what we do. And so this is what we do. And here's what I think. I think most of us run to this verse or other verses like it, looking for comfort and, and maybe even companionship like, oh, good. I'm not the only one who's ever experienced this. When really, I think we should start with comprehension because the way of Jesus is comprehension first and then all the other stuff grows out of it. Our comfort grows out of that. Yes, yes, and yes. This is a wonderfully comforting verse, but we need to understand it first. Now, in light of that, I want to say this. How many of you have ever seen a house being built or you built a house yourself? Real high, come on, real high, don't be, thank you so much. Okay, so there comes a fun part, right? Where like almost everything's done, bricks on, she rocks up, all this kind of stuff. And then they bring in the trim guy and he's like using little bitty nails with like glue and he's like getting it just right. Everybody loves that part. Um, the part that's uh, uh, significantly more noisy and brutal is the framing part where you go in, it's hammers and nails and saws and you're kind of banging stuff in place. I wanna tell you, we're after a framework today to deal with this question. So there's going to be a lot of hammers and saws and banging stuff into place. I say that because some of you are in situations right now that are terrible. Talk to one of you in the room this week who got bad news on the health scene. If I'm on the phone with you or in your hospital room or sitting there having a cup of coffee with you or sharing chips and salsa with you as you're offloading the things that are going on, I'm not necessarily going to roll out these big theological truths and win like that. That's not what we're after in those moments. I'll hug you. I'll cry with you. All of that. But in this moment, we're after a framework for understanding. And it, this is not finished work. This is framework. Everybody with me on that? So I will say some things that may sound pretty sharp to you and you think, I can't believe he would say that to me. I didn't say that to you. I'm saying that to us. Everybody with me on that? Okay, so Romans 8, verse 28, one more time. Um, <clears throat> and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. The questions that get asked are very emotional and very personal, and so we need a framework for understanding them. And I wanna start here. Um, I wanna use three words particularly to describe the promise that is there for us in Romans 8, 28. First of all, it is, it is an exclusive promise. What do you mean by that? I mean this. To whom did God promise that everything is going to come out okay in the end? To whom did God say that? To those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, this is a promise made to them. I say that because I would love to stick this up on a billboard out here on 528 and let the 50,000 cars that pass by it every day just get, roll right under it and, and lay claim to that promise and it be true. But it's not. This promise is exclusive for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Paul is using that language there to make sure that we understand this is for the followers of Jesus. This is for the, the, his family of followers. That is the exclusivity, uh, that, that is the, the group to whom this promise is being made. We can't just roll this out indiscriminately. Hey, everybody, just throw a little Romans 8.28 on it. It's good. That's because it's not true. This is something uniquely um, suited for and given to the family of God. And so I say that to say this. Some of you are in situations right now, 
in tough spots or you've got friends or family or neighbors or coworkers who are in tough spots and you would love to wipe a little Romans 8:28 on it and it'll all be okay. I'm telling you though, this is for the family of the followers of Jesus. That's who it's for. So if you've never put your trust in Jesus, maybe you're here this morning or listening on the podcast later, but if you've never put your trust in Jesus where you've received forgiveness for your sins and where you've turned your life over to him and he has given you both the freedom that he gives to people who trust him as well as eternal life, I want you to know that today could be the day that you, um, that you experience salvation, that you experience and enter into a relationship with him and get a hold of promises just like this. But if we're going to build out a framework for understanding why, how you and I interact with this particular promise in this broken world, it starts with this. It's an exclusive promise for the family of the followers of Jesus. That's where we start. That's the first big piece. Second, it is a limited promise. What do you mean by that? When he says, and we know that for those who love God... All things. Well, why are you limiting things? It says all things. I'm not limiting what God can do. I'm limiting to what God is going to do. That's why I say, because I think that's what he's after here. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And so um, what what are we talking about here? What what do you mean by uh, a limited promise? Here's what he's not promising. This is the way I, as a pastor, have heard this. You probably have too. People have misused this first, and it goes something like this. Uh, Well, let me say it in the negative. God has not promised that it's going to be easy. He hasn't. That's not what this verse is about. Anybody who sells you that bill of goods is a liar, and they're telling you something that's not true. He has not promised that it's going to be easy. Church family, listen, again, just this week. Um, even this morning, my wife's phone rings. Hey, uh, this is so-and-so. Um, my, I don't think my dad's going to make it through the day. Church, it, it's not. He has not promised that it's going to be easy. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that Christians don't get cancer. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that they don't have marriage hardships and problems in their situation. Nowhere. His promise is not that it's going to be easy. And here's the the second part of that. His promise is not that it's all going to go well for you. And what I mean by that goes something like this. There is a whole realm of teaching out there that says something like, if you just had enough faith or the right kind of faith or, or whatever, that it would all go up and to the right for you. Oh, you've got cancer? Just believe. And guess what? God's going to take care of that. There are good followers of Jesus, Christians who love him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, who will step into glory because of cancer. He hasn't promised that it will all go well. This world is broken, church. It is broken. Stuff happens in this world. Why? Because it's under the curse of God. Earlier in the chapter in Romans, that's exactly what he says. the, the, The creation is residing under God's curse. And Satan is real. And sin is real. And brokenness is real. And that's the world that we live in. Bad things are going to happen in this world. It's true. What did he promise then? We know that for those who love God, all things work together 
for good. What you can, although it's limited in terms of the, the scope of what God is going to do, what I'm promising you is this, that God will take what he is going to do and what he allows into your life. Everything that comes to you is filtered by your father, thankfully. Everything that comes to you is that way. He's going to take those things and he's going to work them for your good. That's the promise. A couple of questions immediately come up. One is, couldn't God have prevented this? What's the answer to that? Yes, he could have. Absolutely, he could have. He's, it's in his purview even to do so. Um, but he hasn't chosen to work this way. He has chosen, in fact, to um, allow and permit and even bring hardships and suffering into our lives at times so that we um, are, are shaped by them. Well, I, I thought maybe this was a, uh, a situation where, you know, the, the free will is causing all this havoc and stuff. Can I just, I need 30 seconds on free will real quick. It goes like this. Uh, most people, when they talk about free will, um, they're thinking, I can genuinely choose between this and that. I choose a red shirt or a green shirt, whatever. And those choices are real and that's genuine. If that's the way you talk about it, that's good. I think, though, um, what we have to be careful of is that our wills always choose what we perceive is the greatest good. We always choose what we perceive is the greatest good. And so if we perceive the greatest good is something really bad for us, we'll choose that. That's sin. If God opens up our eyes to see um, uh, uh, the, the goodness and beauty of Jesus, guess what? We will choose that instead. So just simple illustration, just this week, um, Casey and Rowan getting out of um, preschool, walking, Casey wasn't in preschool, by the way, Rowan, little Rowan was, Jackson, they go toddling by, I say, hey, they say, hey, I said, hey, Rowan, there's cake down there, make sure that mama gives you some. Because I can, I, I don't have kids here at, in preschool anymore, it's fine. And so... Uh, that's fine. They stopped. I think they got some cake on day one. Day two comes by. She sees me in the office again. And you know what she says? Cake. I said, yes, honey, you can have some. Make sure that your mama gets you some. That's perfectly fine. Go right ahead. Day three. Guess what? Same thing. Because in her little brain, it's true at one and a half. And it's true at 50 that we will perceive whatever we perceive is the greatest good. That's what we will choose. That's what we will choose. So couldn't God prevent this? Yes. Yes, he could. We're not going to just slide that off to something like free will and go, oh, well, see, I just, it's just too mysterious. I don't understand. Instead, uh, let me give you a couple of pictures here. You walk into your kitchen, okay? You walk into your kitchen. There's an adult there slicing tomatoes with one of those big honking, super sharp, like knives, right? And you think to yourself, what? Oh, dinner's going to be ready soon. I wonder what they're cooking. You walk in the same kitchen with the same knife and the same tomato, and a six-year-old is doing that. You think what? Ah! Is that tomato or is it blood? I mean, you think all of these things. Why is it okay for an adult to do this and a kid not? Because the adult can handle it and the kid cannot. In the same way, God sometimes uses super sharp things to make something good in our lives that we should never be interested with. Here's another example, just another picture. Um, how many of you are music lovers? You like music, right? Let's just pretend God's at the front. He's getting ready to conduct the orchestra, right? And somewhere in the middle of the piece that's being played, as he's directing, 
comes forth this, this substantially ugly-sounding minor chord. Everybody know the difference between major and minor? Major is it makes you feel good. Minor it's like, oh, the hair on my neck is standing up and I'm not sure why. Comes this minor chord right out of the orchestra that God's conducting and you think to yourself, oh, gosh, that sounds terrible. Unless you put it in the broader context of what the piece is, then it sounds beautiful. Couldn't, have God, couldn't God have prevented this? The answer is yes, but he chooses to do differently. I say that to say this. We have to be very careful what we call good and bad. And as I said a while ago, I need you to know, believer in Jesus, follower of Jesus, adopted son or, God, uh, son or daughter into his family. Listen to me. Nothing will hit your plate, your calendar, your inbox, your phone this week that has not been filtered by your father. Nothing. Nothing. So then you can trust him to work all of those things for your good. Because everything comes through him, you can trust him to work it all for the good. If it was happening outside of him, you'd be like, ah, can you do this? He can't, he can't. Second question comes up, something like this. If God is in charge, then isn't this kind of his fault? If God's in charge, then isn't this kind of his, like, isn't this on him, really, when it's all said and done? Uh, the, the, The syllogism Logical syllogism goes something like this. If God were all good and if he were all powerful and there's still evil in the world, then something's wrong, right? Because if, if he were all good and all powerful, then he would do away with the evil that's in the world. When people bring that to me, um, I, I say a couple of things. Number one, he is going to do away with evil in the world. Who's with me on that? There will be one day when cancer does not have the final say over somebody's uh, life. There will be one day when people's minds won't roll back into themselves. There will be a day when all of that works like it's supposed to. Glory to God for that. So uh, the response, okay, well, well, see, if there's a God who is all good and all powerful, but there's still evil in the world, then there must not be that God. I respond simply like this. Hey, listen, the fact that we all agree that X, Y, or Z is evil, you just pick your favorite evil, whatever it is. The fact that we all agree that this is evil, don't you think that that says something like, like we can kind of cosmically agree that this is evil? Why would we all have a collective standard of evil if there wasn't a God? That was actually the very thing that transformed C.S. Lewis thinking about God was We all agreed that this was evil. It should be a little bit more individualistic than that unless there was something that was actually declaring it, representing it as good and evil. Some people say, okay, well, uh, so maybe there's a God. He's just not all good. He's not thoroughly good. Um, And I I follow up with something like this. We could go out here in um, in the parking lot Some of you will not, some of you will, but you have the little sticker on the back of your car, 13.1, 26.2. My favorite is Docs is 0.0. That's my favorite one. But what what are those, what's that 13.1 represent? That's half a marathon, people. Like 13.1 miles, that's a long way to run. And so my response, if you say, oh, well, God must not be all good then. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever done anything that's really hard and yet benefited from it? 
so God can be all good and let hard things happen because in the end, benefit will happen. Um, Or they say, well, then God's not actually all powerful. He's not all powerful. And I come back to say this, then have you ever allowed something to happen to somebody that you care about that you knew was going to be hard for them, but ultimately was going to be good for them? Um, we, We have kids, all of them, all of them have had surgery. A couple of multiple surgeries. Um, it has never gotten easier for me to hand a kid to a surgical team. But yet I as a dad do that. Why? Because I know even though it's going to be hard, there's going to be good that comes from it in the end. So if you walk away with one thing today, walk away with this statement. And this is the thing. If you want to snap a picture of it or whatever, just hold on to this. I think every one of us, we all want a God who's good enough to make sure that the suffering in our lives isn't without purpose. And we want a God who's powerful enough to actually redeem that suffering. Church family, only the God of the Bible does that. Only the God of the Bible does that. We all want a God who's good enough to make sure that our suffering isn't without purpose. Oh, if I'm going to go through this, I hope it's worthwhile. Yes, God can be good enough to make that worthwhile. And we want a a God who's powerful enough to make sure that that does get redeemed for something. But only the God of the Bible does that. Only he does that. That's where this comes down for you and for me. It is a limited promise that that, that God makes to us, but the promise is staggering. Listen, all of these things I am going to use for your good because you love me and are called according to my purpose. You are my child and I am taking care of you. Even in the hard stuff, I'm going to make sure that it's actually going to work out for good in the end. And the, the, the last word I want to use to describe it is this. It is a certain promise. We talked about how it's exclusive to those who are in the family, how it's limited in the sense that it's not going to be, make your life easy, but what God is going to promise is that he's going to walk you through the things there, um, the things that happen and ultimately use those for the good. And thirdly, it, it can be certain. So at the beginning of verse 28, and we No, we know this. It is a certain promise. You and I can know it. We can live it out like Tuesday can be different because of this promise. As we lean into this, we can know it. We can know it. We don't have to wish for it, I guess is what I'll say. We can know it. Um, in, in order for that to be true, and I want to get very practical for just a couple of minutes here. In order for that to be true, a couple of things I think need to happen. Number one, if you're going to know it, number one, you need to fight your entitlement. Suburbia is filled with it, right? And, and, and in this particular case, we need to fight our entitlement. Nobody gets a pass here. Like nowhere in the Bible does somebody say, why me? Why me? And God's like, oh, God, I didn't see. Oh, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. That's not how this goes. Nobody gets a pass on, on hardship and suffering. In fact, for, for, for the Bible, as far as Jesus is speaking in our physical realm, what he says is, in this world, in this world right here, in this world, you will have trouble. Take heart, for I've overcome the world. So what you're entitled to in this world is trouble. That's what you're entitled to. Spiritually speaking, 
Paul writes this in 2 Timothy 3. All those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So, I mean, in the, in the physical realm and kind of in the spiritual realm, in, in the overlap of those two, man, it's going to be rough at times. Fight the entitlement that says different. Oh, I should have it easy. No, no. Fight that entitlement. Don't let that sneak up on you. Um, if you're going to have to fight this in order to, 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 to um, really lean into this and to know it. Um, the, the second part of this is as you fight um, your entitlement to that, the, the second part is you've got to face the fear that comes along with it. So this is the way it happens. I see this all the time in conversations with people. It goes something like this. Oh, well, so-and-so called or the, the doctor said or um, this happened or the boss called, whatever. And all of a sudden, they start spinning out of control. They lose control. How many of you people love to just lose control, just let it all go? How many of you? Anybody? I didn't think so. First expression that comes out of their mouth is anger. I can't believe. Second expression that comes out of their heart is withdrawal. Why? Why withdrawal? Because like if losing control out here, then I'm going to back up until so far until I can have control of something. And then the third expression of that is recruiting people to your side. You see this on Facebook where uh, somebody gets somebody's coffee mixed up, right? Oh, I can't believe they gave me that coffee. Right, right, right. So, then all of a sudden they're blasting a barista because their coffee was wrong. And they want you to join their side. If you jump on their post and say, hey, listen, I just think there's, you know, kids starving in the world today. I'm not sure your Starbucks is Facebook worthy. All of a sudden you're unfriended. You know what I mean? Because they want you to join their side. It's funny about coffee. It's a lot different when it comes elsewhere. So if you're going to face your fear, don't, like, don't do that. That's normal. And I'm saying you and I get to live differently than that. Instead, what do you do? These three things. Let's just point these things to you. Number one, get it out. Like find an outlet for it. And I put in parentheses there, without doing harm. Um. Asaph wrote the 73rd Psalm, Psalm 73, and in the middle of that Psalm, he says, um, oh man, the wicked, they're, they're, they're doing awesome, and those who are righteous seem to be just like withering away. What's up, God? And then he says, but if I had said this out loud, I would have betrayed the generation that was coming. So church family, listen to me. If there's something going on in your life, I promise you, God can handle your honesty, but you need to get it out without doing harm. You need to have an outlet. Who can you talk to about what's going on in your marriage or your kids or somewhere else that, that you can get it out without doing harm? You can get it out without betraying something else. Who's in your life that you can do that? Get it out without doing harm. Secondly, turn to God. It would be easy to run from God, especially if you're blaming God. And I'll just say this now. Again, this is one of those framing moments here. Um, like if you if you're mad at God or blame God uh, or for this for this it, it says I think more about you than it does about Him. Why? Because His disposition towards you has not changed, and His presence with you in your circumstance has not all of a sudden become an absence in your circumstance. It says more about you than about Him. Turn to God, bring it to Him, and go, God. Hey, listen, I'm not sure what you're doing here, but I would love to hear what you're doing here. 
What are you up to? He actually invites this. First Peter chapter five, verse seven says this: "Cast all of your anxiety upon Him." How much of your anxiety? How much? All of it. All of your cares. Why? Because He cares for you. So turn to God. And then the next thing, and this is again, try to be very practical. Just take the next step. Some of us in here, you control freaks, which is like three quarters. I think a couple of you are like, "Oh, you're talking to me." <laughs> That's funny. Uh, you're worried about the next 10 steps? Don't worry about the next 10 steps. What's the next, what's the next step you have to take? Take that step. What's the one thing you have to do next? Take that step. If you're going to face your fear, if you're going to know this promise, for, get it out. Let it, let it, get it off of you. Turn to God in doing so. And then just take the next step, whatever that next step is. You're not even sure like, where that's going to lead you. Why would this be the next? Just take it. Just take it and see how God is at work. I, he is infinitely more interested in your character than he is in your comfort. And he will take you into the school of hardship and suffering to teach you things that you would never learn elsewhere. That's how much he loves you. But you have to fight your entitlement and face your fear. You can know this. And then lastly, just quickly, you can also count on this. We, and we know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. All things really do work together for good. You can count on that. You can count on it. As we've seen it in our lives, so we can see it in other people's lives, so we can see it in the Bible. Just give you three examples. You ready? Joseph, Old Testament Joseph. Betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, um, uh, wrongly accused in Potiphar's uh, house by his wife, thrown into prison, forgotten there by people who owed him a favor, ultimately becomes uh, the vice president of Egypt, so to speak. Um, and then when, when the famine hits, his brothers come to him. They figure out who he is. He gets all, they get all scared, and he says to them this, listen, what you intended for evil, God intended for good, for this, to bring about the salvation of many. Joseph. Like you can, you can count on it. You see it in Joseph's life. Job, Job's just walking around being righteous, right? All of a sudden Satan shows up and is like, hey, God, let me at him. God's like, go ahead. Limited, but go ahead. You're on a leash, but go ahead. Wipes Job out. And what does Job say? The Lord gave and the Lord took away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then his friends show up and they start terrorizing him. And why he didn't beat them with something, I don't know. But nonetheless, uh, and then at the end, he gets very honest with God. And church family, listen to me. God is never afraid of your honesty. Never. You just have to be ready for his honesty back. So Job asked, hey, what's up? God's like, uh, you may be a little big for your britches here, son, because you're asking questions that you don't deserve um, or entitled to the answer of those questions. You just need to sit back. And Job's like, you're right. I'm going to cover my mouth and not talk anymore. Joseph, Job, last person, maybe you've heard of him, Jesus. Never has somebody more innocent suffered such injustice and pain and horror. And yet, what did God do? He used that to bring about salvation for everybody who puts their trust in Christ. 
And I say that to say this. If God can do it on that scale, if God can do it with those people, if God can do it then and there, you know where else he can do it? Here and now. Here and now. You can know this church family and you can count on it. Because if he did it with Jesus, he can do it with you too. What I would like to do is just have a few moments of silence before we walk out of here. Because I know some of you got bad news this week. Or you've been carrying the burden of that. So I'm going to invite you to fold your stuff up, whatever you need to do. And just be, let's be quiet for a moment before God. And then I will dismiss us in just a moment.